It's Lucy Litch, and this is Tiny House Conversations. It's the Australian-based podcast where I interview experienced tiny houses, tiny builders, and adventurers in the tiny world, so you can discover how to create, build, and transition into tiny life. So you want to go tiny, but you might be wondering, where can I park my tiny house? I want to let you know that I have a special unreleased podcast episode of tiny house parking success stories from other tiny houses who were just like you and who have easily managed to find a long-term parking space for their tiny home. Some of them have even found more than one space. So if you want ideas on finding a parking space for your tiny, you can download this episode for free. To get access to it, head over to tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash tiny parking. If you enter your details there, I'll send it straight to your inbox. Now let's intro today's episode. Hi, it's Lucy and welcome back to Tiny House Conversations. Today I'm doing something a little bit different. I am bringing you a special compilation episode which includes many of the different guests that have already been on my podcast or some future guests as well and asking them the question, what's one of the most valuable lessons you've learned from tiny house living? I feel that we can learn so much from other people that have been on the path before us or that have gone through different experiences and learned different lessons so that we can then apply it to our own tiny house journey. And first up, we have Colin Leeson from Brisbane in Queensland, and here's what he had to say. Hi, it's Colin Leeson from Brisbane, and I live with Megan in the Serenity Tiny House. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned from tiny house living is relating to what you really need to have a happy and fulfilling life. Throughout my life, I've been captive to the idea that I need to have the best car, the best gadget or the next cool possession to be happy. And then I was prepared to trade my life for the amount or type of work required to get those things. Unfortunately, this is because we all live in a world where the perceived need for more is thrust upon us all day, every day. Living in a tiny house has allowed me to mostly escape from that mindset. I say mostly escape because sure, there are occasions where I find myself comparing our things with someone else and starting to think about big bucks again. Then I shake myself off and remember it's a billion dollar marketing industry that's making me feel this way and then return to being satisfied and happy. To move into our tiny house required lots of downsizing, and it was daunting to start with. However, once we started, we found the process quite liberating, and we discovered what we really needed and what was just clutter. Now, our tiny house contains what we need. It's easy to maintain, both physically and financially, and it's very easy to spring clean. Our veggie garden and small flock of chooks give us enjoyment, relaxation and some self-sufficiency. And the recent addition of my woodwork shop container beside the house gives me a little extra pocket money for small jobs. And it's an area that I will enjoy even more as I transition into retirement later on. I've truly learned that a simple life is a great life. I enjoy sharing our tiny house journey with others and I'm always happy to offer suggestions to help people with their tiny account on Instagram. Our big tiny house is the account Megan uses to share our tiny journey 
and Serenity Woodcraft is what I'm starting to use for the wood workshop. Best of luck with your tiny journeys. Colin out. Thanks, Colin, for sharing this important lesson with us. And it is this real reframing and reassessing of how much do we actually need and simplifying our lives, going back to basics. And I loved what Colin shared about, I suppose, looking externally and being drawn into external sources that tell us this is what you need to be happy. You know, we need all this stuff. You need all these things outside yourself to feel fulfilled and to feel happy when clearly from his experience, that's not the case. So some food for thought there. And if you haven't listened to my full interview with Colin and Megan, you can go check out episode number two, Making Tiny Houses Accessible. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. And also make sure you go check both Colin and Megan out at Our Big Tiny House and at Serenity Woodcraft, both on Instagram. Now, next up is Emmett Blackwell, a strategic town planner from Western Australia. And here's what Emmett had to share. Hi, this is Emmett Blackwell from Western Australia. The most valuable lesson I've learned from living in my tiny house is realising how much we can strip back our personal levels of consumption in the form of unnecessary building space, infrastructure, possessions, energy and water use. This was especially the case for me with my tiny house because the design was very stripped back and simple built on a budget, including only a kitchenette and bedroom area. I also constructed a simple compost toilet and bathroom outside of the tiny house, so the hands-on experience of designing and managing my own energy, waste and water systems meant that I had become increasingly aware of my exact ecological footprint, and this transformed the way I lived compared to the way I grew up living in a conventional house in the suburbs. For me, this raised important questions about personal responsibility and accountability for our role as consumers and citizens in the face of climate change and ecological crises. The concept of one planet living is based on the ecological footprints of individuals and countries, recognising that our planet has been in a state of ecological overshoot since the 1970s, with human life consuming more energy and materials than our natural environment can sustain. Globally, this footprint is currently the equivalent of 1.75 planets to provide the resources we use and to absorb our waste at a global level. This figure is substantially high for the average Australian and the way we live, which is 4.6 planets, reflecting global inequalities in resource use. Therefore, a significant cultural shift is required to reduce levels of consumption in accordance with the Earth's living systems and ecological capacity. The transition away from fossil fuels will also be easier if we reduce or moderate our overall energy consumption. So it's not just about greening supply and counting carbon. We also need to reduce overall demand, especially in the most industrialised societies. I realise that not everyone in the world needs to live in a tiny house on wheels, but for me it was a very powerful experience which enabled me to discover actually how little I needed to thrive and live really well. It opened my eyes to the concept of voluntary simplicity in a way that has set me free from many cultural expectations that were not serving me or the planet. Thank you so much, Emmett, for so many valuable insights there. And what I want to comment on is this piece around personal consumption. And Emmett talked about this being in the form of energy and water usage, unnecessary building space, possessions, infrastructure. And 
Can you imagine if even 10% of our population tomorrow decided to make different choices, maybe shifted certain habits and behaviors and, and ways of being and living, how much of a knock-on effect that would have towards planetary health and sustainability and you know a shift in our environment, a, a shift in our individual and collective well-being and you know, so many other things. Even though sometimes it can seem like, well, I'm just one person, like what can I actually do? But if you think about making these conscious choices in your own life and then your neighbor does the same and your friends and family do the same, small things can add up to such big things on a collective level. And so this is something that I remind myself of all the time when maybe I get drawn into this idea of zooming out and looking at the big picture and going, man, we've got a long way to go. But if you can do those things that are within your control in your own life, in your own environment, that is such a good start. It's so powerful. And it's, you know, your way of contributing to the wellness of yourself, your community, your family the earth, and so much more. Now, if you haven't listened to my full conversation with Emmett, you can go back to episode number three, Considerations and Challenges of Tiny House Living. And you can also check out Emmett online at The Wood Butcher's Tiny House. And you can find him on Instagram, on Facebook, and that's his website as well. Now, next up is a dear friend of mine, Claire Lovelace, who lives in Batemans Bay. And here's what she had to share about living in a small space as she lived in her van for almost a year. Hello, everyone. It's Claire Lovelace from Batemans Bay. The most valuable thing I've learned about small space living is only to buy what is actually necessary. I've learned how to recycle and up purpose and fix things instead of buying new things. And I really understand now that everything I buy has an impact on my own space and on the earth because everything that I buy takes resources from the earth. So I'm so much more mindful about what I'm actually buying. And instead of buying stuff, I'm more likely to make things myself or trade with my friends. And it's a beautiful way to live. Thank you so much, Claire, for sharing this valuable lesson. And here it is again, you know, this idea around conscious consumption. And I love the way that Claire talked about everything that she buys, she realizes has an impact on the earth in some way. And if you think about that for a second, you know, maybe you buy something from a shop and it could have traveled thousands of kilometers or whatever it might be it could have even traveled from a different country to get to you and then you think about the resources that go into that whether it's through petrol whether it's through water whether it's through different ecological impacts that are happening whether it's even through you know how these products are being made and the conditions of the people that are making them and maybe there's different practices or conditions that are also having an impact on the lives of other people, other living beings, the earth. Again, it's this knock-on effect. And what also comes to mind for me when Claire was talking about, you know, trading things with friends and making things and fixing things, and it just reminded me of this idea of 
know, keeping things within your community and keeping things within your family and helping each other and, you know, maybe what, what was once serving a purpose for you and your life is no longer doing so and then maybe it can go to another home that will, uh, you know, make good use out of it or whatever the case might be. So I love this insight from Claire and she's also the owner of the yoga studio down in Batemans Bay, New South Wales, so Soul Tribe Studio. If you want to go check her out on Instagram or her website, it's at Soul Tribe Studio or soultribestudio.com.au. And if you haven't heard our full conversation on the podcast, you can check out episode number six, Van Life and Being a Minimalist. Now, next up, we have Lisa Tranter, who lives in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. And here is one of Lisa's most valuable lessons from Tiny House Living. Hey, everybody, it's Lisa here from Tailored Tiny Co. You can find us at tailoredtinyco.com.au. That's our website. Email us through there. You can find us at tailored underscore tiny underscore co. That's our Instagram handle. You can check out the progress of our build from the day we bought our trailer right through to now, basically. Don't DM us through the Instagram, though. Just email us through the website. We don't really check Instagram all that often. So one of the most valuable lessons that we learned was that if you have hobbies and extracurricular activities that require a fair bit of gear, you will probably want and need a bit of extra storage space, Um, a shed, shipping container, whatever, borrow someone's garage, whatever the case may be, just to store those sorts of things in. We, for instance, have snow gear. We both enjoy snow sports. I have a horse. Matt has classic cars and we both enjoy camping. And those sorts of things we don't want to try and fit into our house. Um, Our house is for living and those sorts of things. You sort of only bring out seasonally or every few months and a good place for those to be stored is elsewhere. Don't try and fit it in your house. If you do manage to fit all of those sorts of things into your house, kudos to you guys because that's it's really tough. It's a bit like playing Tetris, trying to fit it all in. So don't feel guilty if you do need a bit of extra space. I feel like there's this premise with going minimalist or downsizing into a tiny house is that you need to sort of pack everything up into a small space. And that's not necessarily always the case. You know, you will want to store those things elsewhere and that's okay. Don't feel guilty for wanting or needing to do that. That's all I've got. Um, hope you're having a wonderful day. Enjoy the sunshine if it's sunny where you are. And if it's not, take care, stay safe, and I'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you, Lisa, for sharing your lesson with us. And it's a really good point, actually. You know, I've talked to a lot of different people on the podcast and offline as well, and there seems to be a mixture. There are the ones that really love this sort of minimalistic way of living. And then there are others that are like, no, it's maybe more about other things for me when it comes to living in a tiny house. And I still have my hobbies and I have my comforts and I have these different types of things that I like to have. And and I really loved how Lisa talked about creating another space for that outside the home so that your home doesn't get too cluttered so that it's still quite nice to to be in there and you don't have to find a space for every single thing that you own and you don't necessarily have to let go of every single thing that you own and that you enjoy having or using. And so what I've heard a number of times now is having a tiny house, but maybe having a bigger shed or something else on the land or nearby where you can put all those other things. 
So that's a good insight because I feel like it's something that not everyone will necessarily think of, especially when there is this perception of, oh, I've just got to get rid of all my stuff and I'm not going to be able to fit anything in my home. So I've just got to you know, let it all go. But maybe you don't. Maybe it's about creating another space for those things that you can store and bringing them out as and when you need them. Now, if you haven't listened to my full conversation with Lisa, you can check out episode number seven, Living the Tiny House Dream. And you can also check out Lisa and Matt at tailoredtinyco.com.au. Next up is Kathy McMillan, who lives on the mid-north coast of New South Wales on her family's farm. And here is what Kathy had to share. Hi, it's Kathy McMillan. I live in Dungati country on the mid-north coast of New South Wales with my husband, Matt, and fur babies, Chloe and Weber. If you'd like to follow us, we're on Instagram at a tiny life after all. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned from tiny house living is you don't need much stuff to be happy. In fact, having a lot of possessions weighs you down, not just physically in terms of it being a mission to move, but mentally and emotionally too. It took a long time to reach this conclusion. We were stuck in the consumerist mindset that we needed more things to be happy. There was a lot of the self-talk, I'll be happy when we have a bigger house, a better car, nicer furniture, clothes or whatever. Looking back, all those things were an attempt to fill holes, holes that would be better filled with experiences and spending time doing things with the people we love. Once we made the decision to go tiny, it was a 10-year time frame from the moment we started questioning the way we were living until that point, mind you. It was a relief to shed all the things that we really didn't need. I started writing ads to sell stuff before the finance on the tiny had even been approved. First selling all the knickknacks that we'd bought just to fill empty spaces. Then once all those things were sold, the furniture that sole purpose was to display those useless decorations or hide stuff that we really didn't want but kept anyway. The process of selling and giving away most of the things we had accumulated and moved from house to house only to be hidden in a cupboard, never looked at again, until the next time we moved, that was freeing. We still kept sentimental items, particularly things that my late mum had given me, I still have all our old photos in boxes stored behind the couch, but the plan is to scan those and create small photo books that we'll actually look at and enjoy. We each have a chest of three drawers and a tub for off-season clothes in the shed that we swap over. How many clothes do you really need? When you have more and more stuff, you then need to organise it somehow. And it goes into shelves and tubs and garages, never to be used again, but kept just in case. Just in case what? If you haven't used that thing for 12 months, the chances of using it again are pretty slim. And it's likely you're keeping it there because there's some sort of guilt. We live in a society that measures our worth and perceived success via an inventory of stuff. And it's all stuff that's really not that important. It's pretty exhausting. A roof over your head's important, but for us, a couple with two small dogs, that doesn't have to be an inner city three-bedroom house. You need to wear clothes, but a walk-in wardrobe full is just greedy. And I know that when I had a lot of clothes, I had more trouble deciding what to wear than I do now. You need to drive a car, or maybe you really don't if there's public transport available, but spending more than a year's salary on one and trading it in every few years, perpetually paying back a personal loan, is that really necessary? 
People live well beyond their means, accumulating stuff they can't afford and don't even need, or maybe even want, all the while whinging about huge personal debt and never being able to get ahead. Living in a tiny house teaches you to value how few material possessions you really need to be happy and stops the mindless spending, accumulating, discarding, and then repeating it all over again. If you save and pay cash for everything you buy, you stop and think about whether you really need it and make wiser purchasing decisions. You also tend to buy better quality items that last longer. And whilst they may cost a little more, overall you spend far less because you're buying fewer things that need replacing less often. It's all common sense, but when you're conditioned into the mindset of perpetual consumption that our economic system demands, it's a really difficult cycle to break, but it is possible. And that's one of my most valuable lessons, living tiny. Kathy, thank you so much for sharing those insights with us. Have you noticed again, it comes back to this conscious consumption or how much do we actually need to be happy? And I love a few things that Kathy shared in there, which was talking about this idea of I'll be happy when, and then you can insert whatever you want after that. And usually those things are something external outside ourselves, whether it's something material, whether it's attaining some kind of goal for our career, a relationship, the way that we live, having a house, a mortgage, and all those types of things that we're told will make us happy. But really, you know, what it keeps coming back to, what I keep coming back to, and what I keep learning from different people, and I have these reflections in my own life, is what is actually most important? And Kathy also talked about having these experiences as well. Now, for me, that really resonates. You know, it's not about the material items. It's about experiences and connection and relationships. And Kathy also talked about you know, keeping things just in case. And that's often another thing that can happen when maybe there's some kind of memory attached to a certain item or there's some kind of meaning that we give behind it. And it's not to say that, you know, you shouldn't have anything, any any items, any products or anything at all. But sometimes there are things that maybe we hold on to that might not be so necessary for us anymore. But of course, that's different for, for everyone. And as I mentioned before, some of us are really about the minimalist way of living and then others are, are different and, and still like to have stuff. And I think it's just coming back to intentionality and you know, having things that are meaningful and useful and bring us joy and you know just doing what feels right for us i know for me having the a lot of material items just like what kathy talked about as well as like weighing us down physically mentally emotionally i do definitely feel that for myself and if you haven't listened to our full conversation and actually i have two conversations with kathy and her husband matt so episode number nine off the grid in a tiny house and episode number 16 where Kathy and Matt share their composting toilet experiences with the separate tiny that they use. And make sure you go check out Kathy and Matt's tiny adventures at a tiny life after all on Instagram. All right, up next is Bryony Jenkinson from Park My Tiny House. And here is what Bryony had to say about her most valuable lesson from tiny house living. Hey guys, Bryony here from parkmytinyhouse.com.au. Some of you may know that I'm a single mum with two kids um, and we've lived off grid in our tiny house on wheels, times two, uh, for just over three and a half years now. I think 
my biggest takeaway from living tiny is just how little you need to get by and not only get by to actually live a really full life. I think it's all too easy to buy into, pun intended, the things that society tells you you should aspire to. So things like buying flashy new cars every other year, upgrading to the latest iPhone as soon as it's released. I mean, we're bombarded with marketing messages every other day on all platforms from radio, TV, newspapers, glossy magazines especially, the things that TikTok made me buy, um, Facebook ads, all that sort of thing. And the underlying message from all those sales pitches is basically that you are somehow less than or you're missing out if you are not buying whatever it is they're trying to sell you. And this even comes down on a really deep level to even the ideal of the great Australian dream. We are sold the idea that we are somehow not as successful as we could be if we are not homeowners in the traditional sense, which obviously now people are moving away from and starting to um, by taking up tiny house living and the tiny house lifestyle. And the thing with home, traditional home ownership is that you're really then, as a flow-on effect, locked into and enslaved in a mortgage for the rest of your working life and the upkeep and maintenance of that property as well. So by undertaking that, you're really limited in then your time and resources to undertake things in your life that really bring you joy and pleasure and fulfillment in your life. So. I guess then it really boils down to how little you need to live and live well. You really only need four things. In terms of material needs, you need a roof over your head, warm clothes on your back, a bed to sleep in, and food on the table. Everything else, realistically, is just window dressing. Bryony, thank you so much for your lesson and insights. I really loved how Bryony talked about how, you know, we're constantly being told that we need this thing. Again, it comes back to this thing that's outside ourselves. And, you know, if we don't have that thing, then we're made to feel like we're less than or something's missing. Or if you get to the very bottom of it, and this is what we learn through yoga and other healing practices and modalities that I've worked with for many years, that not good enough, that universal human tendency or limiting belief that we're not good enough as we are and so we need all these million and one different things outside ourselves. and I also loved how Bryony shared about basic needs you know food and water shelter you know something warm to live in and that all the other things are a bonus And again, it's that checking in with ourselves. What is it that we really need to be happy? What is most important to us? Are our basic needs met? So, so powerful, so, so valuable. And if you haven't listened to our full conversation together, you can check out episode number 12, how to find a parking space for your tiny house. And make sure you go check out Bryony and what she's doing at parkmytinyhouse.com.au. Those are also her Instagram and Facebook handles at parkmytinyhouse.com.au. 
All right. So now we're up to Anthony Hill, who lives in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. And here is one of Anthony's most valuable lessons from living in a tiny house. Hi, this is Anthony Hill from Northern Rivers of New South Wales. One of the most valuable, if not the most valuable thing I've learnt from tiny home living is that when it comes to my home, bigger is definitely not better. Uh, I've been able to live without a mortgage or debt uh, for many years now, without any electricity bills, and my um, quality of life, in fact, has um, increased substantially. Uh, I'd never go back. I can't imagine that I'd ever go back to living in a normal house or flat ever again. Thank you, Anthony, for your tiny house lesson. And you heard it here first. Bigger is not necessarily better. (laughs) I love how Anthony shared about quality of life as well, right? It is, I feel like this is one of the things that it really is about, you know, what kind of life do we want to live and is there that quality of life I know that talking to many different tiny houses on the podcast and offline that pretty much all of them have said, I don't think I could go back to living in a regular sized home. I really just don't need that much space. And I'm so content in living in a small space in my tiny home. And if you haven't listened to my full conversation with Anthony and his partner, Kira, you can check out episode number 13 relationships in small spaces and connecting with the seasons. And you can also check them out at Little Fig of the Hamptons on Instagram. And Anthony also has a project that he's been working on for a while, so Plastic Pollution Solutions, in which he educates around the detrimental impact to our environment of single-use plastics. And you can find him on Facebook at Plastic Pollution Solutions or his website, plasticpollutionsolutions.com.au. Okay, and next up is Tom Coop, a construction artist from Victoria. Here's what Tom had to share. Hello, Tiny House Conversations. Uh, my name is Tom Coop. I'm down in Victoria and uh, I've been building and designing tiny houses under the name TC Tiny for uh, about seven years now. And in uh, 2020, I was able to move into my own tiny house and learn a lot of valuable lessons. The most valuable lesson I learned was how tiny houses could be designed and constructed to suit people of all physical abilities. I actually had the experience of doing quite a nasty back injury during that year and um, became very thankful for the measures I'd built into the house, which were not intended for myself to use. They were always intended as an example of how tiny houses could be built to cater for all skill levels and all physical abilities. I wasn't intending for me to be that person who used it, but there I was, quite suddenly unable to, um, to do very simple tasks. was, yeah, extremely thankful for the house being on one level. I think if it had a loft bed, I would have had to move out of it. The house was always very, also quite low to the ground, um, which made getting in and out very easy. Um, I had hand grips around uh, the bed, around the front door, and uh, the bed was uh, at a very comfy height, a very ergonomic height to get in and out of. Um, I had a seat in the shower, and the central living dining area was within reach of the kitchen, so I was able to prepare a meal uh, basically from a chair. 
a lot of those measures uh, were not intended for myself to use. I didn't need them at the time that I built the house, but became very thankful for all of them. Um, and I'd certainly encourage people to consider uh, when designing their tiny house, uh, what their physical skill level is not just at the time of building, but how it might be down the track, particularly if you're expecting to live in it into your old age. Remembering that we never really know uh, what the future is going to hold for us. That was the biggest lesson. I learned a lot of things living in a tiny house, especially as a designer and a builder of tiny houses. It was an extremely valuable lesson. Thanks so much, Tom, for sharing this lesson. And it's a great point, actually. What I've started to see, especially in the last couple of years, is that tiny house living is starting to appeal to a wide demographic of people and also a wide age range of people. And obviously, every single person has different needs and different values and different abilities and you know all those types of things. And I know for me, right now, I'm going through design process of my own tiny home and I'm seeing how important it is to customize all the different aspects according to you know, what it is that I need and to my abilities and, and where I'm at in my life. And as an example, I'm definitely thinking about the whole loft thing. Although I will be having a loft, I've thought about it from a long-term perspective. Do I want to be able to stand up in my loft or, or am I okay with like crouching down all the time and, you know, not being able to fully stand? And for me, the answer is no. And so I'm g- going to be getting a, a landing area where I can stand up in the in the top part of the loft and then climb up into bed because I was thinking about things from a long-term physical health standpoint. And, and so there are so many different types of things, especially like what Tom is talking about, of considering having certain things built into the, the design and, and the construction of the home. And as he also said, yeah, you just never know. Unexpected things can happen and your needs might even change. So it's a really good thing to be mindful of, especially in the design process at the start. And so make sure you go check out Tom at TC underscore tiny underscore houses on Instagram. And you can also check out his website, tctiny.com.au. If you haven't listened to our episode together, you can check out episode number 19, Bushfire Resilience and Tiny Homes, as Tom specializes in building bushfire resistant tiny homes. Now, coming up, we have Jimmy Hurst from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, and here's what Jimmy had to share with us. Hi, it's Jimmy Hurst from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia, and from our Tiny Houses and Tiny Villages Incorporated Association called Polkadot. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned from tiny living is that we don't need much to live to be happy and content when we go tiny, because we don't need stuff. In a tiny house, there's little room to hoard it. So I've become more environmentally sustainable and saved a lot of money in the process. And rather than living commoditized, I'm living more experiential. I live to be and experience life with others. And how is it possible to live tiny as I have over the last four years and embrace minimalism? Well, I'm saving lots of money. I can repurpose things, reuse, recycle, and also refuse things as well. I've been living tiny for that period of time. I'd never go back. To me, to go backwards would be stupid. And finally, learning a sense of humility and appreciation for other people. Because land is expensive and you don't need to own land and you don't need much land to park a tiny house, so you can share it with others. 
and help them curate and maintain their land. It does far better for my sense of value, identity and social health, the thought that every night I go to bed I feel I've done something to help somebody else, while saving so much money, being kinder to the planet, for a more meaningful way to live. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for your sharings. And just like we've heard before, there's that talk about material items and how much do we actually need to be happy. What I want to comment on is a few different things that Jimmy talked about. So lessening our impact on the earth, being able to save money and living a more meaningful life with less stuff. And also what Jimmy mentioned about having humility and appreciation for other people. Now, we are social beings. We are beings of connection. And so you know, if we're able to coexist in this world, especially on the land, and you know, be surrounded by like-minded people and those that you know, we value and, and that value us and that we can you know, work together and co-create and contribute, and live this beautiful, meaningful life that Jimmy's talking about. Speaking of community, if you haven't heard our full episode together, you can check out episode number 23, Tiny House Eco Communities. And make sure you go check Jimmy out at Polkadot. You can do that on his website, polkadot.org.au. It's also on Facebook at Polkadot Tiny Houses. And so now we're moving on to Marie Berenger, who lives in Auckland, New Zealand. And here's Marie's lesson that she's sharing with us. Hi, my name is Marie Berenger and I live in Auckland, New Zealand. I built my own tiny house and I've been living in it for about three years now. And the most valuable lesson I've learned from um, tiny house living is how important your spaces, depending on the life you want to have. So something that is really cool when you design your own tiny house is you can design it for the life you want to have. So you don't need a lot of space or a thousand different windows because this is going to be more time to clean and more time you spend inside your house as well. So I wanted to design a small, very efficient space for the things I need to do. And I've got more time to do the things I love. So I've got a small livable space that really works well for me, um, for when I want to have friends over, when I want to relax, when I want to cook. Um, I want to, I want to do also a cool bathroom, even if it's small. I got to design it exactly how I wanted. Next to that, I've got a gigantic shed, <laughs> which is my workshop, which I get to make a lot of stuff because I'm, after I built my tiny house, I became, oh, I started my apprenticeship to become a carpenter. So I just, I discover after I build my tiny house that I actually love to make stuff. So I've got a workshop, which is a little bit of a playground for me. And because I don't spend a lot of time in my house, I actually have more time to do that kind of stuff. So I've got a gigantic garden as well. And yeah, basically more time for what I want to do in life or what's important. And I really, really love this part about designing my tiny house. I got to imagine my dream life and design a space around it. So that's probably the most valuable lesson I've learned from tiny house living. Thank you so much, Marie, for those insights. And that last part, imagining your dream life and designing a space around it. 
and considering what type of life you want to live and how you're going to use the space, how much space you need, and then designing your tiny home around that. And I also love how Marie talked about because she's done that, she's able to have more time to do what she wants to do, more time to spend on things that are important to her. And it's super inspiring that she's got that big shed like what we were talking about before, where she's able to use it as a workshop to make other things to build and to add more, more meaningful things to the space that she's living in or the land that she's living on. And it's just really inspiring to hear. And if you haven't heard our episode together, you can listen to episode number 24, Building a Tiny House and Women in Carpentry. You can also check out Marie on Instagram at Marie underscore Behringer. And I'll put the link of that in the show notes so you've got the spelling correct. Now, moving on, next up, we have Ethan Waldman, who's the host of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. And here's what Ethan had to share with us about one of his most valuable lessons from Tiny House Living. Hey, this is Ethan Waldman from Burlington, Vermont, where I host the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast and create the website, thetinyhouse.net. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned from Tiny House Living is how to be self-sufficient when it comes to home repairs. Over the course of 10 years, With my tiny house, I've done electrical, plumbing, propane, carpentry, you name it. When things break, instead of calling a contractor, I think about how I can fix it myself. And I do research and I learn new skills and I get to buy new tools. And that's really something that tiny house living has kind of given to me that that drive to be self-sufficient and to learn how to not just do home improvement, but do home maintenance and home repairs in a way that I never thought that I would be able to do myself. Thanks so much, Ethan, for that insight. I love it. Self-sufficiency. There's something to be said for opening yourself up to learning new skills and having new experiences and solving problems. And I feel like there's also this element of pushing past these limitations of the mind thinking I could never do something like that or that's so far outside of my comfort zone or my capabilities but then having a go and doing it and then being able to do it again and being able to solve other problems and so it feels like a really empowering experience is self-empowerment and it's inspiring and I can imagine it would also feel quite fulfilling and we talk a lot about on the podcast being more connected and involved in the everyday workings of your life and your house and nature and natural processes and not outsourcing things and understanding how different systems work and, and expanding your capacity and your capabilities to be involved in these things and to take care of these things and be more self-sufficient and self-reliant and self-empowered And to listen to our full conversation together, you can check out episode 25, Tiny House Decisions. Make sure you also go check out Ethan on Instagram at Ethan Waldman, his website, thetinyhouse.net, and of course, his popular podcast, The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. 
And next up, we have Mel Sparkles from Queensland. And here's what Mel had to share with us around some of her most valuable lessons from living in a tiny house. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me. My name is Mel Sparkles. I live on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland and host Tiny Houses Brisbane and Queensland and Land and Tiny Houses to Rent or Buy in Australia on Facebook. I also do some advocacy for the Australian Tiny House Association and my personal projects page can be found on Facebook and it's called Slice of Tiny Pie. That's P-A-I, which means goodness in Maori. The most valuable lessons I've learned from tiny house living There's a few, but first off would have to be discovering that we're capable of much more than we think we are. Nowadays we've become too comfortable. Our ancestors went through wars, famine and severe hardships and from it became really resilient, which we have within us too. When you get going on the tiny journey, it can really shake things up. From learning to let go of stuff you don't need, letting go of old attitudes and ways and then letting go some more and then some more again, it feels a bit endless. This is where resilience comes in. This covers looking at your mental, physical and spiritual health and then making changes to suit your new upgraded life. For me, it's a much needed upgrade of letting go of old ideas and ways that don't serve me anymore, not to mention stuff. What's tricky about that is when you let go, there is a space, which usually gets filled up quickly with newer stuff. It's hard if you have any vulnerabilities and tend to manifest things, manifest things regularly. Being a designer and artist, I tend to be a bit of a bowerbird, so this is a bit of a repeating scenario for me. Now that I'm nearing the end of my tiny house build, which I mostly built on my own, I'm finding I have energy to do more and to take on bigger projects as my confidence is growing. There is a ton to learn from building your own tiny house and then seeing your hard efforts have created your own home and an asset. What a bonus. It's hard yards, but I feel so much more capable now and excited for the next projects. I just bought a block of land and I'm in the throes of planning to build a tiny house on skids or stumps, which will be really exciting, not to mention a huge learning curve. It's taken me a few years to get to this point. The last four years I've lived tiny. It took me a few years prior to that to be able to do it. After being sick for nearly a whole year in 2019 and not being able to do any projects, I'm so grateful to be able to do what I can do. You just have to take a small step. If you think of the whole project and try to tackle it in one hit, you'll probably burn out and give up. That's probably the biggest lesson I've had building my house as thinking about the massive list of to-dos can really trigger anxiety. So chunking it down into manageable small steps is well worth the efforts. Another lesson I learned would be to stop from time to time to appreciate your work and what you've achieved. Sometimes I'd work all day and then go back after dinner to have a look at the day's progress and be really satisfied to see what I did that day. I'm also a lot less stressed when I prioritise what needs doing on a blackboard or a to-do list. I currently have five projects on the go and have to stop and write it all down or it gets overwhelming. Another lesson is to plan and be prepared and not be too shocked if it all goes to pot. And having a backup plan is a good idea. I decided this time around I wouldn't plan every little detail. I had a design and many thoughts on materials I would use, but I found as I went that materials I hadn't planned to use would turn up on Marketplace through friends and um, my neighbours. So I'd make use of what I had on hand. For the sustainability and recycling aspect I wanted for my tiny, this worked out well. I really wanted cedar cladding but had a heap of unused cora on hand, so went with that. This is probably something I might change down the track 
things can be changed, so not worth getting worried if what you chose isn't exactly what you want. The last lesson was to fix mistakes at the time so I didn't have a massive list at the end to do. Also, if you don't fix them, they can compound and affect the next steps. I wanted to do this tiny to the highest standard I was capable of. It is far from perfect, but I'm very happy with the outcome. I kept reminding myself of the Japanese term wabi-sabi, which is the acceptance of transience and imperfection. Works well for me. Thank you. Mel, thank you for all those insights. I love the way that you ended that with the Japanese term wabi-sabi, the acceptance of transience and imperfection. Could almost be a guiding philosophy or mantra to help us through life because not only building a tiny house or living in a tiny house, it can apply to so many other things in our lives. And there's so many things that Mel touched on there. And what I want to comment on is talking about this idea of letting go of things that are not serving us. So whether it's old ideas, belief systems, ways of living and being, and even in a physical sense, the possessions that we have. And I love how Mel talked about how it's easy to fill that space. So when we let go of something, there is this space that's created and then modern life can be quite busy and you know whether we get caught up in in different things or the busyness or the doing or the needing to have something else in that space it's really easy to fall into that so having the awareness of you know, maybe not filling that space is something that I know that I practice for myself and have for a long time and I think that this practice of letting go is an opportunity that we get to do every single day of our lives in many different ways and Mel also talked about resilience and that we are much more capable and, and stronger than perhaps we give ourselves credit for and talking about our ancestors and a lot of the things that they've gone through in the past. And it is so true, like we all do have this innate capacity and potential for often more than we think we might be able to do or achieve or be. And then when Mel was talking about taking one step at a time, especially during the tiny house building process, it reminded me of the analogy of how do you eat an elephant? Well, you don't eat it all in one go. You eat it one chunk at a time. You know, that old that old saying or that old metaphor. And I I think that's perfect for this and, and also can apply to everything that we do in our lives instead of trying to do all the things all the time or having multiple things going at one time or multiple things that we're trying to focus on, which can be super overwhelming is one thing at a time, one focus at a time, one step at a time, small steps turn into big things, just like we talked about in the episode earlier. Now, Mel will be on the Tiny House Conversations podcast in a future episode, so stay tuned for that. For now, make sure you go check her out on Facebook. So, got two Facebook groups, Land and Tiny Houses to Rent or Buy in Australia and Tiny Houses Brisbane and Queensland, as well as going to check out Mel on her page, Slice of Tiny Pie. Now, next up and the final tiny house that we have on the show is Amy from Life Done Simple, who's based in southeast Queensland. And here's what Amy had to share with us about her tiny house living lesson. Hi, it's Amy from Life Done Simple. 
I live in a tiny house with my husband and our two children in southeast Queensland. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned from tiny house living is that we're living a life of intentionality and not deprivation. Previously, when we lived in a traditional house, I was of the opinion that bigger meant more, more comfort, more happiness and more success. In reality, it meant less money, less time and less connection, but more stress. In Going Tiny, we haven't sacrificed on space or general comforts. Instead, we have been intentional in creating a home that serves our family's daily needs while still being beautiful and comfortable. Having limited space also means we're conscious of what we choose to bring into our home. This doesn't mean that these things always need to be particularly useful or profound. They may just simply make us happy. As a result, we spend less on unnecessary purchases, reducing clutter and decision fatigue. We save money, decrease stress and have time to enjoy the things in life that are truly important to us. It has been a journey to unlearn that societal pressure to always feel like we need more, that innate need to consume, whether this be materialistic, social media or binging Netflix. But now I don't need or want more. We have created a life we love where happiness is found in simple, slow moments and a slower life. I am learning to sit in the quiet, to slow my mind, to be present and enjoy the now. When we reduced our physical possessions and downsized our home, we made space for life. To quote our daughter, little house but big life. Amy, thank you so much for sharing your lessons and insights. And I really love how you ended that there with a quote from your daughter, little house, big life. And this idea of intentional living versus, you know, feeling this lack or this deprivation for not having what we need because we're choosing to live in a different way. We're choosing to live in a smaller space and having less stuff. And I loved how Amy talked about this unlearning of the conditioning of society around exactly what we've been talking about. I think at the start of the podcast of material things and looking outside ourselves for answers and for happiness and for fulfillment and being in those slow moments and being present and stopping to smell the roses and being appreciative of these small and simple things that can often go unnoticed or can often be missed when filling up our lives with stuff or when life is busy and when we're living in this striving and achieving and moving on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and again always looking outside. And I also loved how Amy talked about making space for life. I think that's such a a beautiful way to put it. Again, when life is so full, when we get caught up in all the doing and less of the being and being in the quiet and really being with ourselves and slowing the mind down and having space to be present with what's in front of us and who's in front of us. I talk about this in yoga all the time and all these types of things. You know, this is where we're able to really experience more of the richness of what life has to offer. And this is where we get to be more in connection with what's important and what 
values we have and with nature and with family and community and experiences and letting go of all of the other things that are not who we truly are and that don't make us happy and that don't fill us up and that don't allow us to feel free and connected and content. Now, Amy will be on an upcoming episode of the podcast, so stay tuned for that. And for now, you can check out her tiny adventures on Instagram at life done simple. So life underscore done underscore simple. Now, to close out this episode, I just wanted to comment on some of the main themes that have come up during this episode. And so this idea of self-responsibility, I feel, is maybe one of the biggest things. You know, when we can take responsibility into our own hands of how we're living, how we're being, what we're consuming, what resources we're using, and how much space we're taking up and all those types of things, I feel like that is next level of self-responsibility. And this is something that I know for me is so important and is so aligned when it comes to this tiny house way of living. So reducing our impact on the earth and making these conscious choices and going back to basics, remembering what's most important, is it internal or is it external? having this intentional choice to simplify life, having our basic needs met, designing our life and our house around what kind of way we want to live, how we want to spend our day, being so self-sufficient and being able to, again, empower ourselves with new skills, with new experiences, with new ways of living and being. Remembering our innate resilience and that we are more than capable, perhaps, than we might give ourselves credit for at times. Remembering to take things step by step, bit at a time, taking space, enjoying the slow moments, being present, And as Amy said before, making space for life. I want to say thank you so much to all the tiny houses on this episode for taking the time to ponder the question that I asked you and for sharing such valuable and thoughtful and insightful responses so that each of us can take, you know, little bits away for our own journey. Now, I've put everyone's contacts in the episode show notes for today. If you want those show notes, you can head over to tinyhouseconversations.com. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here with us. Let me know if you like this type of special compilation episode and stay tuned every Thursday for new Tiny House Conversations. I'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, you found it valuable and you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is to share the love. That way I can keep bringing you more tiny house conversations to help you on your own tiny journey. So here are three ways that you can support the podcast. Number one, if you have a friend or family member that you feel would benefit from hearing these conversations, feel free to share it with them, email them, text them, send them a telegram, do whatever you need to do 
do to share it with them. Number two, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll know exactly when the next episode is live. And number three, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. I appreciate you and I'll see you in the next episode.